I have a few funny things, so let's just get our, our laughers warmed up. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he, 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 he. <laughs> you know, you can do that anytime. You can just warm them up anywhere you're at. Getting ready to go into a meeting, just warm it up. Just ha, ha, ha. <laughs> All right. You never realize how little self-control you actually have until chips and salsa are in front of you at a Mexican restaurant. That's a good test, just to see where you're at. <laughs> it's always a good just marker there. Okay, I checked my bank account, and none of it was fraud. It was all me. Wow. <laughs> all right, I got one more. I got one more. Somebody, you might want to consider this, hopefully much years and years and years from now. A after, my f after my funeral... I want one of my friends to take my phone and text everyone, thanks for coming. <laughs> you got to remember that one. All right, Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for what you're doing. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, as has been said, it's no longer us who lives. It's Christ who lives in us. God, we just ask that Christ be magnified through us today. God, and I just ask that your words, your anointing, that Christ would be speaking through me today as I share this word. And God, we just declare freedom in this house, God. God, that you are taking us deeper in you. You're taking us deeper in your word. God, you are just raising us up, taking us fully into the promised land to see everything that you've promised come to pass. And I just want to declare over you this morning that no matter where you're at, no matter how young, no matter how old you are, God has more for you, and he wants to bring you fully into the promised land in your life. So we thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I believe this is the year to enter into the promised land. We've been talking about this all year long. Um, I usually don't get like a I'm not one of those pastors that gets a word for the year every year, usually like a like a corporate word. But this year I did. And there's been other years where I really got like a strong word where I was like, okay, I feel like this is the word for the year. But this year at the end of 2022, did I say that right? Yeah, 2022. Um, I felt really strongly from the Lord that he says, this is a year, tell people this is the year to go into their promised land. And I felt like it was a, a corporate word to release over our church corporately, like this is a year for our church to go into the promised land. But also it was, it's an individual word to grab onto. This is a year to go into your promised land. So when you look at the children of Israel, that time in Egypt um, and coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, that, is our, that represents our salvation moment. How many know if you, if you haven't met Christ yet, if you're not saved, you are a slave to sin. You are a, a literal a slave to Satan. But we have that moment, that Red Sea moment is when you say yes to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I give you my life. That is our Red Sea moment. They could not get across that, that sea. There's nothing that they could do in their own strength. It was, how many know it was all God? He opened up the water. He did what they cannot, could not do, and they went through on dry ground. That's what happened when he got saved. It's something that you could never do for yourself. Jesus did for you. And then when the wilderness time represents a time of maturity and growth in your life, 
The wilderness time is where you grow, you um, learn the lessons, you go deeper with the Lord, you become teachable, you, you turn into, um, you, you just submit to being a son in the Lord, and he gets you ready to go into the promised land, which is everything that he has for you, the fullness of everything that he has for you. So we've been talking about this since January 1st, and I, I find it really interesting with what's happening in Israel right now. And it hit me like a ton of bricks on Thursday. I was, we've been praying for Israel, but on Thursday, it's like God connected the dots for me. He's like, what have you been talking about all year? This is the year to go into the promised land. What is the literal promised land? We look at the scripture. What is the promised land? Israel. God's been saying, this is the year to go into your promised land. And it's interesting to me right now that Israel is in a fight, not just for to keep what God's given them, but they're in a fight for their life. I don't know if you know this, but Hamas is, this, this was not a military invasion. This was an act of terrorism. This was an absolute act of terrorism. Some of the most horrific and barbaric things um, that have happened in the nation of Israel happened uh, last week when they invaded. Um, and I'm not going to say it uh, even in this crowd right now. I'm sure most of you know, but horrible what they did. Men, women, and children um, massacred them and, and worse. And, and again, I'm not going to say. <clears throat> And yes, I've heard people say, we need to pray for everyone involved. Absolutely. Because we know the enemy is the enemy. Amen? So we, we are praying for everyone involved. But at the same time, we need to pray against evil. And we do need to pray. How many know God's not going back on his word? He said, this is the land I'm giving you forever. He is not going back on his word. And so we need to stand with who the Lord is standing with. The Lord is standing with Israel. And so I just find it so interesting that it's like God wants to take us into the promised land. The enemy is fighting us in every way, not only to, to inherit the land, but to stay in the land. And how many know the enemy wants to kill and destroy every single person here? And this is actually the goal of Hamas is not just to take land. It's to exterminate Jewish people off the face of the planet. You're trained, uh, if you're in Hamas as a child, you're trained to kill every Jewish person you come, come across. This is, this is what they're dealing with. They, Jewish people, if, you, if you've been around them, they feel thankful just to be alive usually because they know there's millions of people that want them dead, that don't think they have a right to exist that don't think they have the right to exist as a people. So it's interesting. God wants to take us into the promised land, but the enemy, he's not happy about it. <laughs> he doesn't want you in. He's out to, to destroy us. Obviously, we're not going to put focus on the enemy, but we need to know we have an adversary. And this was, this was kind of a wake-up call for me. When you see what was done, it's, it's shocking, and it's, it's, um, it's sobering. And it just reminded me, I connected the dots on Thursday, like, wow, we have an enemy and he hates us. By the way, this is the Antichrist spirit. This is a battle between the spirit of Christ and the Antichrist spirit. And the enemy does not want you to inherit the promises that God's promised you. So I want to read Numbers 24.9. 
It's talking about Israel. It says, the nation is like a mighty lion. When it is sleeping, no one dares wake it. And then it goes on to say this, whoever blesses Israel will be blessed, and whoever curses Israel will be cursed. Psalm 122, 6 through 9 says this, pray for peace in Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So we've been talking about going in and possessing the promised land all year long. Now, there may be areas in your life where you're like, I feel like I'm in the wilderness in these areas. I feel like I've not gotten victory. There may be other areas of your life where you feel like you are in the promised land. Like, I can certainly relate to that. I feel like one of the calls on my life is to do what I'm doing right now. And it was a call that the enemy warred against for years. But there's other areas of my life where I'm like, Lord, I want to see more breakthrough in this area. I want, to, I want you to bring me fully into the promised land in this area. And that's what God wants to do with you. He, won't, he really does want us to go after everything that he's promised us. He doesn't want us to sit in a place of complacency or even there's, there can be this religious sounding lie from the enemy that's like, you know what? Your life is good enough. Why don't you just be thankful for what you have instead of contending for all that God has, has uh, promised you and is called, uh, calling us into as a people. So God is a, a covenant keeping God. Amen. And his covenant to Israel will never be broken. His covenant to you can never be broken. And he's given you the land. He said the land is yours. The fullness, it's the fullness of everything that Jesus Christ paid for in the cross. It belongs to you. And Satan wants you to stop short and say, I'm good. Or I, I go into hopelessness. It's just not possible. But God is saying, have hope and push through for more in your life until you see everything that he's promised come to pass in your life. So God is taking us in. But the enemy doesn't like it. And there's a spiritual battle against you taking possession of your promised land and against you remaining there. Remember, once they got there, that was, that was the first battle. The second battle is, how do we put down roots? How do we build and how do we stay here? And God will show you how to do this in your life. Amen. So my, my thoughts and prayers in the last few weeks have been, God, how do we go into the promised land and possess it? How do we go in and stay? So in this season that we're in right now, I believe this, this is like, I feel like this is the word for the moment. It's time to put roots down like never before. It's time to sink your roots deep in the Lord like never before. When the Israelites went into the promised land, they had not owned land for 400 years. So in the previous 400 years, either they were living in a land that wasn't theirs or they were nomads and they had to learn what it was like to own property. They had to learn what it was like to build their own homes and to steward their own land and to put roots down for the first time. They were like, this is my land. 
This is the land that God's given me for me to own, for me to steward, for me to occupy. And that's what God is doing as he brings you into the promised land. You have to, he retrains you on how to think. See, they, they were slave, they were, uh, they had mental slavery happening. And when God brought them in, he's like, I need to teach you sonship and stewardship of what it looks like to be an owner and not a slave. So it's time to put our roots down like never before. They had to unlearn the ways of slavery and begin to learn the ways of sonship. Let's just take a laugh break for a second. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Amen. So possessing the land is one thing, but you begin to see the blessing when you sink your roots deep into God. You build that deep foundation. That's what you can build on. So here's some of the things. There's, there's just a couple things that I want to touch on today. Here's some of the things that keep us from inheriting our promised land. It's guilt, shame, and condemnation. They keep us from inheriting and staying in the land. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. God wants to destroy guilt, shame, and condemnation in your life. It's this thing that says, like, it keeps you in this place of feeling like you're never good enough. You haven't done enough. You're not worthy of the promises. God's not happy with you. You haven't done well enough to get his approval. And it keeps you in this place of, like, not coming to the Lord and also not expecting the promises, not even receiving the promises because you think you haven't done enough or you're not worthy enough or you're just falling short or just God's a little upset with you right now. It's all tools of the enemy to keep you out of receiving the promises. You are not going to walk into your promised land when you feel like you're not worthy of it. So God wants to break unworthiness off of you, and it, and it comes in this form that the enemy sends us in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Number one, you need to know that God already dealt with all of those things on the cross. It's a done deal. He paid the price for all of those things already. Guilt, shame, condemnation, it's already been settled. The matter's been settled. So it's not a surprise that the enemy wants to convince you that the matter's not settled. <laughs> And that you have to somehow earn, earn things in the Lord. How many know we, don't, we can't earn our salvation? We receive our salvation by faith. And I'll just tell you a secret. That's how you receive everything else that you have in the kingdom. By faith. The, the lie of the enemy is once you get into the kingdom is that, well, now you got to work hard, buddy. you got to earn this. And it's not God. It's the tool of the enemy to keep you out of the promised land. So guilt is this, a feeling of wrongdoing. If you have a constant nagging, just a feeling of wrongdoing, God wants to take that away. Just like always feeling like, man, I haven't done enough. Or, man, did I do that right? Or you leave a meeting and you're like, man, did I say something wrong? Or just like, is like, am I just in the wrong somehow? You just always like, you know, it's, it's not bad to like, to, um, you know, want to do things excellent. But if you just have this constant like, oh man, am I wrong here? Or did I do that wrong? Or did I say something wrong? Or just like this nagging feeling. It's like this guilt 
from the enemy that God wants to remove from you. Psalm 103.12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our, he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 32.5 says this, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In Christ, that happened once and once and once for all. He forgave the guilt of your sin. Done deal. Guilt is taken care of in your life. But the enemy wants to keep you in a constant state of feeling guilty. So you, so number one, you won't inherit the promises God has for you, but you also miss the joy of your salvation. There's something about the IS, uh, Isaiah 61, the oil of gladness that I feel like in this season that God wants to pour out the oil of gladness on you. That's part of what Jesus paid for is that you would live in that oil of gladness, that state of joy. And if we're in this place of guilt, it's just robbing us of the joy of our salvation. And you won't expect the blessings of God in your life. Let's talk about shame. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus hates shame. He hates shame. He, that's why he actually was shamed on the cross because he wanted to take every single thing that the enemy would throw against us. And he bore, the Bible says, he bore our shame on the cross so that we wouldn't have to bear it. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus took your shame on the cross. And I believe he hates shame. He doesn't want any person here to live in shame. He wants you to be completely free from guilt and from shame. Lastly, I want to talk about condemnation. Condemnation is feeling condemned or feeling disapproved of. I got a scripture for that. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Zero condemnation for you from God. There is no condemnation for you. You are approved by God if you're saved. <laughs> if you're not saved, you can get saved today. It's by faith. It's not by works. And then you instantly come into sonship. You are approved by God, and he is completely pleased with you. As pleased as he is with Jesus, he's pleased with you if you're saved. You are approved by God. Do you know what the word righteousness means? It means right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So this is the exchange when we receive Jesus is he became sin. He took all the sin. And when we receive him, all of our sin gets put on him and all of his righteousness gets put into us and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Righteousness means right standing with God. You're permanently in right standing with God. It doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. We all know how many know. We, we know we can make mistakes. <laughs> but in God's eyes, you are in right standing with him. Hallelujah. That's good news. Got another scripture to put in your religious pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I'm talking to myself too. <laughs> I need these scriptures. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith. Therefore being justified by faith. This is really good after this. Because you're justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is completely at peace with you. He is completely at peace with you. Because you're in Christ. So God wants to destroy guilt, shame, and condemnation in your life. And it's important to realize these are not God's tools. These are the tools of Satan against you to keep you from the truth, to keep you from God's promises. These things keep you running. They keep you in a place of works and earning. Did you know that Satan is the biggest legalist on the planet? It's not God. We, we believe, like, he wants, he wants to convince you that his accusations, his bombardment of guilt, shame, and condemnation, he wants to convince you that it's God. God's not legalist. The enemy is actually the biggest legalist on the planet. We actually learned this. I want to share a story real quick. Some of you, there might be just a small group of people that remembers this, but about... Seven years ago, we had someone come into our church and they manifested demonically during our greeting time. So my wife went over to them and greeted them. And whatever was inside my wife, whatever was inside them, didn't like it. Because they just started shouting in demonic tongues. And then this demon manifested. <coughs> and I learned a lot that day. It was, a, it was a great learning experience. And this person started just screaming in demonic tongues, and then the demon was fully just talking to us. And we were, my, my wife and I, my wife was pregnant at the time, belly out to here, and she's like, come out in Jesus' name, you demon, you come out. And I was right next to her, and we were casting the demon out. But the thing was not budging. So my wife was like, okay, we're not going to let this take over our whole service. And we were able to talk to the person. We're like, hey, if you want to get free, go sit down, and we're going we're gonna to pray for you after service. So, so the person did. They went and sat down in the very front row. They sat right next to a visitor. <laughs> and it was so interesting. Like I said, I learned a lot that day. My wife was preaching about the blood of Jesus. How many know Satan hates the blood of Jesus? I mean, it's like pouring hot coals on his head. He hates the blood of Jesus. So literally, this person was sitting there, and every time my wife would say, the blood of Jesus, he'd scream in a demonic voice, no! Like on cue, every time. The blood of Jesus, no! The enemy hates the blood of Jesus. He's terrified. 
Yeah. <laughs> he hates the blood of Jesus. And the end of the story, by the way, is he, he, abs- he got fully delivered and set free. And he actually got set free by taking communion. My wife had a word of knowledge. She, she actually declared it. She said, you're going to take communion and you're going to be completely free. She was talking to the person. And um, when we brought communion to this person, um, they opened their eyes and it was the demon and screamed in terror, looked at the communion, like, think about this, looked at a tiny little cracker and, and a cup of juice and sc- literally screamed in terror and said, get that away from me changed my perspective on communion. It's like, wow, this is more powerful than I realized. I started to believe what the Catholics believe. They say this literally is the blood and the body of Jesus. And I was like, I think they're right. Because <laughs> that thing was terrified of this little cracker and this little cup of juice. Long story short, finally took communion. And the second he took communion, the atmosphere in the place just shifted. You knew it was done. It was completely done. And this person stood up in their right mind and said, what happened? But there's something else that I I learned that day. And it's this. When the demon would speak, everything he would say was an accusation against this person. And everything he would say was a legalistic reason why he cannot get set free. And there was, they're all stupid. You'd laugh if I said them. They're just like, he's done this, he's done this, he's a Roman of descent. It was like all these things, but these things actually had power in his life because he believed them. But these were just the lies that the enemy had telling him, legalistic reasons why he couldn't be set free. And I left that day, and one of the lessons I learned was, wow, Satan is the biggest legalist in the world. It's not God, it's Satan. He's the one trying to convince you that the blood of Jesus was not enough. You're disqualified because of this and this and this and this and this that you've done. Satan is the biggest legalist. Amen. So God wants to eradicate these things in your life so that you can fully inherit the promised land. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to do this right now. If you just want to be, let's just not even play games. Like I have more that I want to share with you. But if we're just going to take a second. If you, if you have been struggling with guilt, shame, condemnation, stand to your feet and we're just going to pray for you right now. And we're just going to declare that it gets broken right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know there's more. Yeah, Angela, Joy, Tina, um, let's walk around. And let's just pray real quick. Thank you, Father. Right now, we just break every shame, condemnation, and guilt. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the blood. We plead the blood of Jesus that paid the price for guilt, shame, and condemnation. We break the lies of guilt and shame right now. Ha, ha, ha. We break the lies of guilt and shame right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, every guilt and shame come off right now. In Jesus' name, if you are washed in the blood, there is no condemnation for you. There's no shame for you. There's no guilt for you. And we break it off in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. We break it in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just command every demonic force of guilt, shame, and condemnation to leave these, every single person here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you for being bold. Thank you, Jesus. It's, man, it's something that he throws at every single person here. He tries to get us into this place of works and earning. And we just believe, yeah, we just believe it's just broken against you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So how can we possess the promises of God and enter into the land and stay in the land? We do this by sinking our roots deep into the Lord. This is what they needed to do when they went into the land. Build foundations. Put the, put the roots down. Sink them deep. But how do we do that? I want to talk to you today about godly meditation. How many know that meditation didn't originate from the New Age? It didn't originate from Buddhism. David actually talks a whole lot about meditation in the book of Psalms. Here's the difference. Eastern meditation will tell you, empty your mind. Godly meditation is filling your mind with God's thoughts. And it's a game changer. It is a way to sink your roots deep, deep, deep into the Lord. I believe this is some Holy Spirit ninja stuff I'm about to share with you. Like, this is the deeper stuff. This is the, how you really start to grow in the Lord, how you really start to see change in your life. When you, uh, you know, John 3.16, when we believe that, we get saved. But we get transformed when we believe Colossians 3.16. And that's this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. This is godly meditation, like letting it just deep in you and just, you know, what if the word of God is not something to be performed, but it's a seed to be sown in your life until it produces something. And you put the seed in you by meditating on it, chewing on it. The old word meditate in, in the Old Testament, is, it's to mutter, to like ruminate, to like chew, to like just, you take this, the scripture, you take the word and you chew on it and you mutter it and you chew and chew and chew until it becomes this seed that's planted in you that's going to produce something in your life. We're not supposed to look at Scripture and say, I need to really try hard to do that. But we need to say, I need this seed to get planted in me until it becomes a reality in my life. The Word of God is meant to be a seed planted inside of you. How do you plant it inside of you? Meditation. Meditate on the Scripture. We need to learn to eat God's Word Eat God's word until it's a part of you. You are what you eat. So number one, meditate on God's word. Psalm chapter one says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's, it's Psalm chapter one, verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly.
Yeah, that's a good one right there. We could just park. Very first verse in Psalms, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That comes up so often in Christian counseling. Should I do this? Should I partner with this person? Are they Christian? No. No, you shouldn't. Psalms 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now when David says he meditates on God's law, he's actually referring to God's word. He's not talking about the law of Moses, which is the Ten Commandments. Often, you know, you know what the Torah is? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. This is what David would have had at the time. But the word Torah is actually not in the Bible at all, at any place. That's just what Jewish people refer to the first five books of the Bible now. But you can see references to the Torah in the Old Testament. When you see it says God's law or the law, a lot of times that's talking about the first five books of the Bible. Now, if it says the law of Moses, that's usually the Ten Commandments. But the, here he's talking about the Torah, so this is what David is saying. My delight is in the word of God, and in his word I meditate day and night. This is what he's saying. In the Amplified, it says, in his precepts and teaching, he meditates day and night. That's his word. So David is saying his delight is in the word. We need to learn to eat the word, and in his word I meditate Day and night. Again, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Meditate on the word of God. Amen. Here's how you practice this. Take a scripture this week and say it. Mutter it. Chew on it. Ruminate on it over and over and over throughout your week. Just even just try taking one. Just say, I need this scripture. I need this seed planted in me. And I'm going to chew on it maybe hundreds of times a day. Just like, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. And I'm just going to meditate on that. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to say it. And watch how it goes from being words on a page to life in your spirit. God wants to, that word to go from being just the letter to being spirit and life that actually changes everything. We need to learn to eat God's word, chew it, say it, ruminate on it. Try this and see what happens. Now, two things will happen when you do this. The written word will become living word in your life. And you will begin to feel the power of that word in your spirit. I, I had a a day where my scripture for the day was 2 Corinthians 5.21. This was many years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And it's, it's basically, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's, I quoted it earlier. He who, knew no sin, knew, uh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. But I was just meditating on that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I was working with some people that day. We were actually doing a building project, and there was about six of us. And I was just chewing on it all day long as I was working, just saying it, chewing on it, thinking about it. And this, I had this supernatural experience. I suddenly started to feel like a king. Like I felt like 
I'm a righteous king. And I'm like getting to do this project. And not only did I feel like I was a king, I started to feel like all these people I was working with, they're all Christians. I was like, oh, we're all kings. And we're like getting to work together on this project together as kings. I can't even explain it, but it was just like this, this encounter of like what it means to be righteous in God's eyes. I am the righteousness of God in Christ and how powerful it is to actually receive that word and see what that feels like. Chew on the word, eat the word, and watch what it does in your life. You'll begin to feel the power of the Spirit. The Word of God is not something to be performed, but it's a seed that's supposed to be implanted in you that will produce something in your life. Number one, meditate on God's Word. Number two, meditate on what God is doing. How many know that we need to meditate on what God is doing, not on what the enemy is trying to do? We need to meditate on what God is doing, not on what the enemy is trying to do. Again, the psalm, Psalm 143, verse 5. This is David. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. I meditate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. So there's two things here. He says, meditate on what God has done in the past, the days of old. And meditate on what God is doing now. I meditate on your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. Philippians 4.8 tells us what to keep our thoughts on. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things. So we need to meditate on what God has done, often, you know, really easy way to do that is open the Bible. Read the Old Testament stories. This is what he's done. Read the New Testament stories. This is what God has done. Meditate on what he's done and meditate on what he's doing. What's happening right now? What are the things that God is doing? You know, a prophetic view always when there's something happening on the earth is to say, God, what are you doing? Otherwise, we can get caught up in this earthly thing. Like, how do we fix this on our earth level? But a a higher plane is to be like, God, what are you doing? How do you see this situation? And we begin to part with the way he sees and the way he thinks. Partner. Did I say that right? Amen. Often we rehearse the bad things that have happened in our lives. I heard Wendy Backlund say, she goes, you know, Christians are great at meditating, even the ones that don't, that think that that's, free, that's weird. She goes, those people probably are the most, they're the great, really great at it. They're just great at meditating on their last failure. We can be, we can be meditating all the time on what we've done wrong, what we've messed up in, what our last failure was. And so Christians meditate all the time, but God wants us to actually meditate on what he's doing and what he says. And this is a game changer, by the way. This will take you from, if you struggle with hard emotions, this, this is actually the, the game changer. There's a great book called uh, Victorious Emotions by Wendy Backlund. But really what it is, is she's like, you know, 
the enemy tries to get us to meditate on what he's doing and on our last failure, she's like, what if we just meditate on what God is doing and our last success? What if we meditate on our last encounter with God? What if we meditate on the last prophetic word that God gave, gave us and we just intentionally go after, I'm going to focus on what God has said, what he is doing, what he's done in my life until it changes my emotion. Because the fruit of meditating on what the enemy's doing and on your last failure, the fruit of that is you'll have negative emotion. You'll have anxiety. You'll have fear. But the fruit of, <clears throat> excuse me, the fruit of meditating on what God is doing, on what his word, you'll have the joy of the Lord. You'll have the oil of gladness. And so this is something we can actually do. You know, you can't change every thought. You can't affect, I mean, what am I trying to say? You can't control every thought that comes into your mind. But you can control what you focus on. And you can intentionally say, I'm not going to meditate on this thing. I'm going to change the channel. And I'm going to meditate on what God has done, what he is saying. Amen. So if you struggle with tough emotions, I just gave you a really powerful weapon to use to change your emotional state. Rehearse your last encounter. Rehearse and meditate on the last prophetic word from the Lord. What has God done in your life? Remind yourself often and share your stories with other people, by the way. There's something happens like it's one thing to just ruminate on it and remind yourself. It's another uh, thing to share it with someone else. It has another layer of, of power when you're just sharing what God's done in your life. Meditate on what God is doing. What's he doing in your life? What has he spoken to you lately? What encouraging things have happened? What prophetic words have you gotten? What testimonies are happening around you or in your church? These are the things you want to focus on and meditate on. Number three, so we want to meditate on God's word. We want to meditate on what God is doing, not what the enemy is doing. And number three, we want to meditate on testimonies. And David, again, he's got another scripture for this. Psalm 119.99. He says, I have more insight than all my teachers for your, med your testimonies are my meditation. Did you get that? I have more wisdom. I have more insight than all my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. When you meditate on who God is and what he's doing and the testimonies of Jesus Christ, it'll actually, it'll actually increase your wisdom, but it'll also cause you to think like God. I have more insight than all my teachers because your, your testimonies, they're what I'm meditating on. It'll cause you to have God's perspective and to start to see things like God does, and it will raise your wisdom. If you want more wisdom, start meditating on testimonies. Become a testimony junkie. <coughs> this, is, this is one thing Bethel's really good at. They're like, we're going to meditate on testimonies. We're not going to focus on what the enemy's doing. We're going to focus on what God is doing, and we're going to become testimony junkies. We're going to chew on the, everything that God is doing. And when you do that, I'm telling you, you will raise up in wisdom, and you will start to see things and think like God. Focusing on and meditating on testimonies uh, and what Jesus is doing will not only give you great wisdom, it will train you to think like God does.
Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They overcame Satan by the word of their testimony. Wow, how powerful is your testimony? How powerful are testimonies around you? If you don't have a recent testimony, grab onto someone else's. David has a great testimony. God healed his knee. He went from he couldn't put any weight on his knee to he was fully walking and carrying his crutches home. Meditate on stuff like that. Meditate on what God is doing. So many people got healed in our healing conference. And I, I've been trying to remind myself, like, man, I don't want to let that just be like, oh, that was a great weekend, but now we're on to something else. I'm like, I need to remember what God has done. And the more I think about those testimonies, it calibrates my brain to think like Jesus. We start every staff meeting with testimonies. It's the first thing we do in staff. What is God doing? Let's share testimonies. Again, you can't control every thought that comes in your mind, but you can control what you focus on. Matthew 6, and 23, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, notice it says eye and not eyes. Because it's talking about what are you letting into the eye of your mind, your perception. What are you, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the, what the enemy's doing? Are you seeing the negative? Are you meditating on the, your last failure? Or are you seeing what God is doing? Are you seeing what God's word says? Are you seeing the testimonies of Jesus Christ? And are you letting those things flood into you until it changes everything and it's like a light inside of you? If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. This stuff that I'm talking about this morning, it actually affects your physical body. Your whole body will be full of light when you, when you make his word your meditation, when you make his testimonies your meditation, what God is doing your meditation, and you can control what you focus on. Amen. So what are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> what are you focusing on? So I believe this is one key, this is one tool I'm giving you this morning on how to sink your roots deep in the Lord. Focus and meditate on his word and focus on what he is doing, the testimonies of Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is a season to sink your roots deep. Maybe we'll do a roots series because <laughs> that's been my question. Lord, how do I do that? I'll just share this with you, something personal. <clears throat> when we were in Hawaii suffering for Jesus a couple weeks ago, we actually had our 25th wedding anniversary, September 26th. And um, we went to Hawaii for 10 days to celebrate our anniversary. And we had a glorious time. It was great. But we went to a, another BLN church. Um, our church is in the, the Bethel Leadership Network, and we, we found a BLN church there, and it was only about 10 minutes away from where we're at. We're like, this is perfect, and it was awesome. They had amazing worship. It just felt like being at home. We're like, I feel right at home. It's a great message. And we actually, um, before service, they had like a, uh, like a prophetic booth where you can come in, and they'll pray over you and give you a prophetic word. And so we didn't tell them anything. We didn't tell them we're pastors. We just were like, hey, we're from Phoenix. And we're, we're celebrating our anniversary. I think that's all we told them. And 
<clears throat> Joy got some amazing words like, oh, you just got words like worship and like create, you're a creative person. I see you worshiping and I see you writing books. And that's something she's gotten many, many times. And it was like, just totally nailed it. And for me, one of the things I'd been processing, um, I've been processing for several weeks is like, Lord, I want to sink my roots deep. Like, how do I do, how do I do it? And I just been asking Lord, Lord, show me how to sink my roots deeper in you. And this is the word I got at this church. She goes, I see your feet going into the ground, deep, deep, deep into the ground. I see these roots shooting out of your feet, deep, deep, deep into the ground. And I was like, Lord, you, thank you that you see me. Thank you for that word. That's been the desire of my heart. Yeah, amen. So this is a season to plant, to build, to put roots down. And I just want to pray over you this morning. I'm going to have Joy, my wife, come up. And ministry team, get ready. We'd like to pray for you if you have any prayer needs. Father, we just thank you that you have called us into the promised land. God, that we, we thank you that you took everything out of the way through Jesus Christ. That there is no shame, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt that can be in between us and you. You've removed everything out of the way. The veil was torn from top to bottom. No more separation between us and the presence of God. No more separation between us and our dad, our father God. And we just thank you, Jesus. You're an amazing Savior. You took everything. You left no stone unturned. So, God, I just pray that every single person here, God, would go deeper in you, God. That they would go run after the promises of God. That we would not become content, God, to just say, this is enough. But we would say, no, there's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. I prophesy over some people here, there's breakthrough in finances for you. There is breakthrough in relationships there is breakthrough in timidity. There's breakthrough in so many things. That thing that you've been just contending for, I'm telling you right now, there's breakthrough. And I'm telling you to go after it in this season right now. There's a grace to, to get breakthrough in all those areas. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you that you partner with us to bring us into the promised land. Jesus Christ himself leads us into the promised land. We thank you for it. Amen.